Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the book of Daniel. Uh, Lord, to look at this period uh, in Israel's history, uh, a, a dark season that they were, they were taken into captivity and the nation was done away with. Uh, as, as Babylon marched into uh, Jerusalem in three waves from 605 B.C. to 586, ultimately just decimating the people, uh, taking their best young men and their people over these three waves into captivity, uh, seeking to rid them of their Jewishness and to uh, fill them with the culture of Babylon. And in the midst of this horrific um, place in history for Israel, there's this young man, Daniel, and his fellow uh, countrymen who stayed firm to you, and they, they did not bend. And so, Lord, we thank you for this life of Daniel that unfolds before our eyes. We, we first meet him at about, I don't know, 15 or so, and, and now today he's about 80 years old. And to see his life of faithfulness uh, before you, in the midst of many different administrations and governments, uh, we look to him today, Lord, and ask that you would uh, help us to learn from his words, help us to learn from the story, uh, that our hearts would be softened uh, to your voice. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is uh, holding out for another day to surrender their life to you, that you would, uh, that you would move in their heart, that they could respond to you, uh, because none of us are promised any more than this very moment that we have. Um, Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to study your word, to worship you freely in our nation. We recognize that this didn't come just uh, without the shedding of blood, and so we're thankful for those who've gone before us on this Veterans Day that ultimately, um, by your hand, provided this environment that we can worship. It's, it's a gift that not many in history have had, and so we don't take it lightly. We ask that you would open our minds, soften our hearts, and that may your spirit lead us uh, through this chapter in Daniel, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Belshazzar, the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. They brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that it did the writing. The, then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers 
the Chaldeans, the diviners, the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your, do not let your thoughts alarm you, or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because of an extraordinary gift, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So before we get into this chapter, um, I want to give a little bit of an introduction, because this, this chapter is, is, is fascinating to me. This is, this is a chapter... That, that has the potential for a Hollywood movie. There, probably, there may even be one out there. Um, the, the more I've studied this, the more fascinating I, I've grown with the story. If, if, let's just kind of skip ahead, see the end, verse 30. Um, verse 30 says, That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom about the age of 62. So... Where to begin with the story? Um, before we get into the story, I need to tell you kind of like the, the rest of the story. You know that old uh, radio commentary that there's like this whole other thing happening. So historically, we know based on the death, death of Belshazzar exactly what was going on. There's uh, historians by the name that I can't pronounce, so there's no need, and you guys aren't going to look it up, but if you just Google the historians, you can find the story. So... Babylon was this great empire, huge empire. Um, today we read the fall of, of Babylon, essentially. Um, the city was huge. It had a, a, a wall that went around it. The circumference of the city was 60 miles around. It had these huge hanging gardens around the wall. They said that if you took a, a football field and stood it on its end, that's how high the wall was. Around the width of the wall, you could have four chariots. So I, I'm just assuming a chariot's about the size of a car, you know. Like so, you you had four chariots circling the wall 24/7, sort of standing guard over the city. Around the outside of the wall was a huge moat that the Euphrates River uh, fed, and then uh, various points around the wall. Underneath the wall, the river would flow to feed the city. The, the city was so well protected that even if you could basically contain it from the outside and block off water supplies, they estimated that the people on the inside of the wall could survive for 20 years. 
talk about the original preppers, you know, like these people were like ready. But even then, it didn't work out for them. So we know that while this party is happening, that Belshazzar is having this, this, this party of, of revelry and just gross display of power. Um, historically, what's happening is the Medes, who had been working with the Persians. So the next empire that's coming is the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, they knew there was no way to conquer the wall. And so what they decided to do is they decided to divert the bulk of the flow of the Euphrates River so that it would sort of bypass the city. And then what happened is the water levels began to decrease. And this is like of epic proportions. Like as a Navy SEAL, like I love this story. Like I'm almost more on their side. So what they do this night, they know there's this huge party and the people there are asleep at the wheel because they were, they were so secure. They, there was no way they could be conquered. And so what happened, is, as the water level's lowering, it got to the point where the soldiers could wade through the water underneath the wall. Like, this is, right, this is my meat and potatoes of my military experience. This is, this is awesome. And so these guys sneak into the city. They divert the water so that they can wade through and barely get enough air, go into the city at night, and at the end of our story, they're going to kill the king. Awesome. Like, I love it. I mean, this is great. And so as we go through the story, there's a whole other story that the Bible doesn't tell about. So as the story is unfolding outside, there's the story of the Medes and their awesome attack on this king that's going to be victorious. And so we start with verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, and you immediately ask, huh, who's this guy? We haven't heard of a Belshazzar. I mean, just in verse 37, chapter 4, I, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king, 43 years of, of Babylon, or 45, I forget the number, Masomenos, uh, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Amen. Belshazzar, the king, huh? So 20 years has elapsed since between chapter 4 and chapter 5, and if we can go to the next slide, I want to show you a little bit of the days of our lives. This is like... <laughs> Actually, I need my notes... <laughs> Because I'm not going to... So you have the, the top dog here. Can I get a volunteer to read? <laughs> Nabopolassar. So he's the founder of the Babylonian dynasty. And so historically we know that around 605 BC, I forget what his situation, he was either killed or got sick or something. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's down pillaging uh, Israel. He gets word that, hey, the guy's about to die, like, or he's, like, he's been killed. It's like your time to strike. And so Nebuchadnezzar basically takes Daniel and that crew of about a thousand guys they anticipate or they estimate, and he returns and he basically assumes the throne. So Nebuchadnezzar is the king that we have been familiar with through the story. He reigned for 43 years. Hey, I was right. Um, so old Nebi had a son, which this is the best slide I could find. I don't like this slide. It says Emel Marduk. But we know him historically as evil Marduk. So he was, a, he was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a really bad guy. Um, 
he reigned for two years, and he was super erratic, and he, he lived just a, a terrible life. And he was assassinated two years later by his brother-in-law, old Neri. So Neri was married to the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. He, after two years, has had enough with old evil, so he kills him, and he assumes the throne. Let's see, how long did he live for? Um, so Neri reigns for four years, and then he has a natural death, and the throne is passed on to his son, uh, Labrador Retriever. Um, <clears throat> so he's super young, and he has diminished mental capacity. And so he only serves for about nine months before there's a, a, a crew of people that are going to overtake the throne. In this crew of people that are going to overtake the throne, one of the guys is Nabonus, another son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. So he basically murders him with a crew of guys, and he takes the throne, the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he ruled for some time, and he inherited, I inherited, that's probably the wrong term, he assumed a lot of money by taking over the throne. Although he, did, wasn't, he wasn't really fond of actually ruling and governing. He was more into um, living the trust fund lifestyle. And he was really particular about archaeology. And, and apparently he's like, there's a, an archaeologist hall of fame or something. Like he, he, was, he traveled the world and just funded it through the military that he acquired and and basically funded everything. So he's traveled around the world. He didn't really like the whole governing thing. So he eventually appoints his son, Belshazzar, the guy that we are reading about today, as sort of a co-regent. So he, uh, he was the de facto king. He was the one that did all the, the nitty-gritty. His dad's out traveling the world, doing whatever, living off of the kingdom. And so Belshazzar would be, well, it's kind of hard. He dies in tonight's story. And so... He's the king. He dies in today's story. And his dad was still the king, but he, it was a while. For, it took him a few years. I think it was a, like a, I, I think by the time he, I think it was five years between the time that he said, hey, son, why don't you actually be the king, but I want to have all the authority also. Then he's killed, and then it took him a couple years before they, they tracked him down. And then he, uh, what happened to him? He, he basically was captured by Cyrus the Persian, and he spent his final years in exile in uh, another place where he eventually died. Um, so when we come to verse 1, and we get Belshazzar the king. So another 20 years has elapsed between chapter 4 and chapter 5. So in the course of these five chapters, we've seen... Daniel moved from a young man of like between 9 and 15 years old to where last week he's about 50 or 70, 50, 60. And then now in today's story, he's like in his 90s. So he's an older man. Uh, we see Belshazzar the king. He held this great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. So there's a lot of commentary like this is, this is no place or no behavior for a king, but, but he's just this vile man. And so he has a thousand people, um, and he throws this party, and he's drinking with them. And as he begins drinking, he has a great idea. That was, that was sarcasm. 
When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, it says father, but really in the text it's, it's forefather, um, the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his, his grandfather, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem when they destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they're going to basically... In this party, uh, some of the things I wrote down in my note here, uh, blasphemy, mockery, idolatry, and immorality. This is, just, um, this is just a horrible scene. And then they brought the gold vessels in verse 3 that they had been taken out of the temple and the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So they basically are mocking the God of Israel. And with the, these vessels that have been uh, set apart for the worship of the God of Israel, they're now drinking out of them, worshiping their gods of these things, mocking the God of Israel. It's a, it's a drunken, terrible scene. And in verse 5, like, I, like, too bad, like, church wasn't on, like, Halloween today. Because this is, like, a perfect, like, all of a sudden, it's, like, hand, you know? Like, the, you know, kids go trick-or-treating, there's a hand that's moving. It's, like, freaky, you know? Like, and it's, uh, it's horrifying. So they're there, partying it up, and all of a sudden, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite of the lampstand of the plaster of the wall in the, in the king, of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. So they're there and it's like, I don't know if they have time trials for how fast somebody can sober up. <laughs> but my guess is he took the, the, the speed record from going from drunk to sober. He sees this. We see the king's face grew pale. Not all the way because he's going to lose even more color coming down, down a little bit. So he goes pale. His thoughts alarmed him. Now, I'm not going to do too much explaining on the next one. But I'll pause a little bit to let you guys let your minds go. So his, his hip joints went slack. <clears throat> you guys got it? And his knees began knocking together. So this guy is a mess. This, this, this sort of reminds me of the scene. Some of you might remember in January of 1992 when old 41 Bush, the senior, was in Tokyo, Japan. You never see these foreign leaders like get sick. And all of a sudden, he throws up, passes out. His wife gets up. She's trying to do stuff. Secret service, bad sushi, not handwriting on the wall. But it's like a, what just happened? Like world leaders don't display themselves like this. And this world leader all of a sudden loses all composure, all facility, like he, faculties, not facilities. He, he just, this is horrifying. And so of course they do what they always do. The king called, they called to bring in the con- uh, conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. I don't know why they keep calling these guys. Like, they, 
it's like the king spoke to them and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple, the finest color, the, it had value, and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Why the third ruler? Because dad's number one, he's number two. So he's basically saying you're, you're going to be the top dog if you can get this. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar went, was greatly alarmed and his face grew even paler. So there was a little bit of color previously. These guys can't help him. So what color he has left, it's now gone. He's horrified. Now the queen entered the banquet hall. Now we have to say a couple things here. Who's this queen? It's not... It's not Belteshazzar's wife. Um, there's speculation that it could be his mom. There's room for you guys can hold to whatever you think. I tend to think that it was Nebuchadnezzar, one of Nebuchadnezzar's wives. He had a very young wife that lived a very long time. I, I forget the number, I, but I think it was in her hundreds. And so it would definitely be like his mom or this lady, are the only queens that would have the authority to just barge in on the king and start barking orders out. Like you see with Esther, she was afraid to approach her husband. She was a queen. Like that didn't happen. But mom, mom can do that. And grandpa's wife, (laughs) she carried a lot of authority. And so many think that it was the King Nebuchadnezzar's younger wife because she would have remembered crazy Nebi and all that had happened back then. I've been taking a lot of flack about my comment about curly fries this week. I really, again, I apologize. (laughs) No offense was meant. Just trying to make some colorful images there. Um, But so she comes in. Because of the words of the king, verse 10, and the the nobles, the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts, thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. Easy for you to say, mom or grandma. There is a man in your kingdom who is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, grandfather, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your your father, the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because of an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of the dreams, explanation of enigmas, Solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. So this seemed good to the king. He's, he's, he's open for ideas. And so Daniel was brought before the king, verse 13. And so the king seems to speak to Daniel in a very derogatory way. Like, you, you could miss it if you read it at first glance. But there's like, are you the Daniel who's one of the exiles? You're, you're, one of, you're one of those guys that my grandpa conquered and brought into our nation and we decimated your country? That Daniel? As a pastor, I'm used to this sort of thing. I'll be with buddies and they're like, you're just some like witchcraft doctor. I'm like, nah. I wouldn't say it like that. Like I went to school and stuff. They're like, yeah, but you went to witchcraft school. I'm like, no, I have like a bachelor's and a master's and all like, like I... And like, doesn't count. And I'm like, what school do you have? And like, I went to community college for two years. And I was like, 
but I just went to Hocus Pocus school. Yeah, that's how I see it. Like what you say, like, okay, sure. Like I, and 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 the the king is kind of looking at him like you're that you're you're in exile. I've heard about now. I've heard about you that you have a spirit of the gods who's in you. He's not really buying it. He's heard about it. And the illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom that have been found with you. Just now, the wise men, the conjurers, were brought in before me that they might read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give the interpretation and solve the problem, solve the difficult pro- and, and able to solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you'll be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. So the offer that he made to the other guys is still valid. And he says, if you can do what these guys couldn't do, all of the rewards are there. And Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your stuff. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't need your stuff. I don't need to be third in command. I don't need your robe. I don't need all of this stuff. And I wish I, could see the, the, I wish I could see the look on Daniel's face as they sat there drinking with these holy vessels of his God that when Daniel was a young man was ripped away from his family that likely most of his family and the people that he all knew were all murdered because war is ugly. And he was hauled away and he excelled and he's just been serving faithfully under all of these kings. Next chapter, we'll see that he continues to serve faithfully under the Medo-Persians. And this week, as we have elections or had elections, I think there's a huge lesson to learn from Daniel. He's as even keeled as they come. He doesn't care about the, 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 the wind that blows the politicians back and forth. And we as, as Christians should be as stable as him. And yet Christians, when elections come, it's almost like, who's your God? I almost said, I don't want to step on your toes, but I do want to step on your toes <laughs> with a smile. We serve the same God that Daniel served. Daniel's in exile. Daniel has been taken into captivity. We as Christians in America, we vote. Or you have the opportunity to vote whether you did or did not. That's, I don't know. But, but we live in a very free country. We have great benefits. And so if your guy wins and you celebrate who's your God, and if your guy loses and you go into mourning with, and you're sackcloth and ash and you're crying and you don't know how what's the future, God's not asleep at the wheel. The United States is just one of the many nations found in the statue of Daniel chapter 2 that says this stone that was cut without hands smashes into the bottom and that the real ultimate king will come and his kingdom will expand. That's the God I serve. And I'm talking to myself just as much like I, you know. We have a, we have a wonderful gift that we can pray that we can examine our candidates, that we could cast our vote, that we can influence the nation in which we live. And I'm all for that. I'm not saying to you, don't vote. But I am telling you to check your heart after the votes have been cast 
and just to check yourself. Like, how, how is this making me feel? Do I, do I have confidence in my God that is faithful? And so here Daniel sits before this just nasty man who's offering him everything. And Daniel has the capacity, like we see, that he's going to give him the answer. He says, keep your, keep your stuff. <clears throat> now, Daniel could have gotten straight to verse 25. So to verse 25, at this point, Daniel could have just said, keep your stuff. I'll read what it says. It's actually a pretty good lesson for pastors. This is the kind of church you should choose. Because what does Daniel say midway through verse 17? Keep your gifts for yourself and give your reward to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and I will make the interpretation known to him. That's the role of any good pastor who's in a teaching capacity. I will make known to you what the scripture says. I'll tell you what it means. Don't get mad at me when it says stuff that you don't like. It's not like I'm just as affected by some of the stuff in here that steps on my toes too. But so he could have gone from verse 17 straight to verse 25. Now, this is the inscription that was written out. But there's, in the literary sense, he slows the story down. The king's dying to know. But he says, before I give you your carrot about what you, well, actually not a carrot, it's actually really bad news. Before I get there, let me say a few words to you about your life and your judgment and the things that you've done up to this point. Let me give you a little history lesson. So verse 18, O king, the most high, God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your grandfather. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, men of every language, feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed. And whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated. And whomever he wished, humbled. He humbled. He's saying, your grandfather was all, like, humanly speaking, there was, there was nobody that was more powerful than him. He could do whatever he wanted. This is the, the wave that you're riding as king. In verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was disposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He said, when he got so arrogant, God finally said, you're done, Nebi. Verse 21, he was driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of the beast and his dwelling place was, was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. He said, this great mighty man who could kill who he wanted, he could elevate who he wanted, he could humble who he wanted, he could do whatever, he, there, he had no bounds. But his pride got so far ahead of him that God said, that's enough. And this great man that nobody could stop, God in a moment made him like an animal. And he wandered the fields like an animal, no clothes, crawling around, the dew, it rained at night. He would just be out there slopping around in the mud and, and water. And so this great man was an animal. 
And if you write in your Bible, I would highly suggest that you circle the word until. Until what? Until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and he sets over it whomever he wishes. The theme of Daniel, that there is a God in heaven. He is sovereign. He raises up nations. He brings nations down. He does whatever he wants, God in heaven. And this great ruler, God said, I raised you up because I had a purpose in disciplining my people, my godly people of Israel, and now I'm going to bring you down. And I've had Johnny Cash talk in my song head all week. God's going to cut you down. (laughs) And that happened. And it happened until he lifted his eyes up. And he recognized that God is in control and that he's just a man and anything he has is only because of God's grace and mercy towards him. And at the end of chapter 4, we see this Nebuchadnezzar, who I believe we'll see in heaven as our brother and sister. Not our brother and sister. They just flow. Like, our brother in Christ. Like, that that he believed. Like, I genuinely believe that he, that's how his life ended. In verse 22, between 22 and 28, I need you to, I need you to see um, the word you and your. I didn't count, but between chapter 20 or verse 22 and 28, this word appears something like 15 or yeah, 15 times or so. I'm tempted to count, but I'm not going to. A bunch, very intentional. So, so at, up to this point, Daniel was talking about Nebuchadnezzar, but now it's the guy that's standing before him, the king who has all of the authority basically to kill Daniel, to do whatever he wants. And he says, yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. Daniel points out to Belshazzar that he knows that this isn't the first time that, that old Belshazzar, Belshazzar has heard about his grandfather and what God did in his life. He knew about all this stuff. And for whatever reason, he didn't heed the, uh, the, the instruction that was given to the, the grandfather. I don't know how many Christian kids there are. Or I, when I say Christian kids, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually believing in Christ. But what we refer to as Christian kids that just because your parent is saved doesn't mean that you're saved even though you went to church your whole life and that you can memorize Bible verses because you went to Awana and that you're homeschooled and you did this and that. and That doesn't necessarily mean you're a believer. And it can be... Thank you, Don. <laughs> there was one I wasn't really looking for, but I was trying to get my thoughts together. And, so, and I think there's a lot of time that these, these kids who know everything say, well, my... This is me. Like my dad, he's tattoos and he has resisting evading arrest under his book when he was a Navy SEAL. He lived at kind of party. It worked out okay for him. So that means I got time. And maybe when I'm 80, I'll like, you know, old Nebby. Man, think all the times. God gave him a dream. He, after even the building the golden statue many years later, he gave him another chance. And then it, like towards the end, it was like finally, like he did the whole animal thing. So I don't, I don't know if Belshazzar is playing this game with God. Like, well, it worked out with him, okay, so I'm going to wait till the very end and I'll get my life right with God. You know, life insurance doesn't exist because, <laughs> because you might get tomorrow. Nobody gets mad at life insurance companies for trying to sell them, like, 
Like, hey, you could die. And you have a family. When we pitch it like this with uh, getting your, uh, your spiritual life in order, like nobody's guaranteed tomorrow, nobody's guaranteed tonight. But suddenly when you put it in a spiritual terms, like, hey, life, there's no guarantees in life. No, you're just one of those hellfire brimstone guys. Like, I'm going to live a long time. You don't get mad when the insurance company says, hey, like, for X amount of dollars, come check things out. A few weeks ago, I got a, I got a word from a friend um, in Colorado. He's a pastor, and he's like, oh, man, something like just terrible. I'm, I'm really struggling. Can I just, he was just venting to me. And, and a friend of his who was 40 with four young kids, um, like, all of a sudden, aneurysm. Within 24 hours, he was gone. And it was just, whoa. So he's kind of thinking, and I'm going, oh, that's true. He's kind of, I'm like a 40-year-old with four young kids. Like that's, and it's like, hopefully the guy had like, you know, trying to find some like array of light within the, the guy have life insurance? No, he was a really busy like musician guy. Like I guess he was like something for big Christian musicians, and he was just, he was always just a little too busy to take care of that. It was on his to-do list. He meant to, do, he meant to get the life insurance. There would be time for another day because certainly he's a young, healthy guy, you know, good cholesterol, exercise. All, like, there's no way anything would happen to him. And I think, I don't know, but this Belshazzar going, well, my grandpa, he, he could kind of do all this stuff to the end and God, God gave him some extra time. None of us are even guaranteed lunch. And, and this isn't something that we should be rolling the dice on. Anytime the Bible talks about it, it says, today if you hear the Lord, respond. Don't harden your heart. And so Daniel says, yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. Verse 23, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. So much so that you've taken his consecrated vessels that you took out of the temple of the Holy God. The Bible tells us where God's presence actually resided. And you're having this drunken orgy, drinking out of his vessels, declaring that this God is nothing. Like this was a direct assault of the God of heaven. And they have brought these vessels out of the house before you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking from them, and you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which do not see, hear, or understand, but God in whose hand are your life, breath, and your ways you have not glorified. The very God that gives you life, you have turned your back on him. Actually, he didn't turn his back on him. He, it's, probably, it's probably a more appropriate description of what he did. But he bowed his chest at God and said, you're nothing. Verse 24, then the hand was sent from him and this inscription was written out. He said, okay, I've reviewed a little history. I've challenged you, Belshazzar, about your arrogance and your pride. And in the midst of your arrogance and pride, when you're drinking out of the goblets that were intended for God, 
you see this hand just kind of float, like, like what did it look like? Like, Started writing on the wall, some language that they didn't understand. So verse 25, now this inscription that was written out, many, many, tekel, upfarsin, this is the interpretation of the message. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. This whole Babylonian captivity that we Jews have endured for 70 years, it's, a, it's over. God is done with you. Your days are numbered. It's over. Tekel, you have been, you have been weighed personally, that you, Belshazzar, have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. You're in trouble. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Like, remember, all of this, while this is all going on, those guys are, oh, man, I got to go. <laughs> the water's low, but I, okay. God, I just love the story of these guys on their attack. Like, this whole time, the Medes are coming. As Daniel's giving this death sentence to the guy, and I love verse 29. Like, why is this there? Old Belshazzar looks at Daniel and he says, you know, very good. Here's your purple robe. Here's your necklace. Here's uh, your third in the command. This is the equivalent of the company has just found out that it's going bankrupt and tomorrow it will no longer be in business. It is done. You're the new CEO, buddy. <laughs> it's all yours. Yeah, he held true to his word at least. In verse 30, so that same night Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom at about the age of 62. And next week we'll look at this king. Um, So when I look at this story of Belshazzar, how does this fit into the... The, the bigger picture of Daniel. Now, the bigger picture of Daniel, we had four wonderful chapters about, about God's patience, his mercy, his gentleness, and uh, harshness, maybe. Not harshness, probably about his, his, his discipline dealing with Nebuchadnezzar. Then all of a sudden, we get one chapter on his grandson who had all of the information. He didn't respond and God says, you've had your opportunities. God's still the gracious God, but, you know, you, God's gracious with you. He's given you opportunities. And it's up to you to respond to God. And this guy never chose to respond. And, and maybe he never would have responded. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. But when I look at humans today, there's a lot of people who have put off living for God. You know, when I'm done with college... When I get this job, when I do this, when I retire, whenever the blank is, at that point, then I'm really going to consecrate myself to God and I'm going to start living for Him. I wouldn't put something so valuable as your soul. When you're going to stand before your maker, all of us are going to stand before our maker, whether we've trusted in Him or not, we're going to give an account. And there's nothing more valuable than your... your, your, uh, your, your spiritual equity with God, the things that you do for His glory, 
your humility. Belshazzar, he didn't have another day. And I look at this man, Daniel, who's now 80 years old. He had no temple. He had no synagogue. He had very few people. Certainly he had no Bible. We know of him and three other guys who stood faithful. As horrible things happened to him, he says, you know what? As it began for me, and I don't know if he had a family. There's no evidence that he had a family. But for me, I'm going to live for the Lord. And I'm going to be faithful. And I don't care what's going on around me politically. I don't care what's all the threats this king can offer me to stuff. I, don't, I have my God. And, and we're going to see as we get into chapter 7, 8, and 9, Daniel doesn't go in chronological order. So we're going to see that Daniel himself had some visions also, kind of corresponding to the visions of Nebuchadnezzar, God assuring him that, hey, Daniel, it looks really bad right now, but don't worry, I'm still in control. I'm still almighty. I'm still sovereign. You can trust me through this. And so I don't know what you're going through today. We all, you know, David Jeremiah is the one who said that you're either heading into a storm, you're in the midst of a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. And you can rinse and repeat that cycle. As long as we're in this life, there's, there's trials and tribulations. And so I see two encouragements. If you haven't trusted in God like Belshazzar, I would seriously like take some time and evaluate your life and your need to receive the gift that Jesus provided on the cross for you. And if you've received this gift, to take inventory of your life and how are you living um, in light of your circumstances. Daniel's this, this stable guy. I think it's in Timothy. I should have looked at the worst. All, all, all week I've had it. I just keep forgetting to look it up. But I think it's in Timothy where it says, you know, a, a something man is unstable in all his ways, but, but the, like I'm, I'm hoping that there's an Awana kid that can help. Is it James? James? James 1. Okay, I heard James 1. I'm going to go there. Because all week, is we're, this verse has been there. And I, like every time I think about it, I'm not in a place to look it up. So let's go over to James 1. All right. We were in 1. That's good. Anybody help me out? 6? Verse 6. James 1, verse 6. Uh, okay. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And, and this, this, this picture, like I see Daniel like in Psalm 1, that he's this tree planted by the waters, and he's just getting more grounded and more solid. And the things that are happening around him, here the king calls him in. And I can just see the look on Daniel's face. Like, may you live forever, king. I can understand what that says. I'll read it to you. I'll explain it. And it's not good for you. The true answer to life, joy, happiness, peace, all of these things is found in my God, the creator who's given you every opportunity to respond and you haven't. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for the story of Daniel. I, I, um, 
I look at this now older man, and I see his life of, of faithfulness to you through extremely difficult circumstances. And I find myself convicted of looking at the newspaper, looking at our times, looking at the world, and growing weary, and having a propensity of, of fear and being concerned about what's happening and what's the future look like. And so, God, I ask that you would help each of us that are feeling that way, that you would help us to keep our eyes on you, to know that you're in control. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to align our desires, our hopes, our dreams, that we would marry them to you and that we would allow you to have your way in our life Whatever it is that you choose to do, you can give us a bunch, you can take away. Um, But as Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Father, I do pray for those in this room that maybe have not responded to you. They've been putting it off for another day. I I pray, Lord, if there are people here listening that that have been sort of dating you and and sort of waiting to see if they're going to commit, Father, I pray that you would help them to respond to you because the reality is that all we have is this moment. We don't have another moment guaranteed to us. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to live each day um, as though we were going to meet you at the end of the day. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.